Happy Friday, Las Vegas. Oh boy, in the news this week, it's electeds making choices and that giant orb revealing its insides. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I'm here with News 3 reporter Brett Forrest and CityCast lead producer Sonia Cho Swanson, and we're talking about school start times, new rules for street food vendors, and whether the sphere setting a new bar for entertainment is a good thing or not. It's Friday, October 6th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Well, Sonia, the State Board of Education is pushing a mandate for high school to start later in the morning. But CCSD, they're fighting back. What happened this week? Well, y'all know that teenagers are not good at mornings. I don't know about (laughs) y'all, but that was my teen years, right? Well, for me, or afternoons or evenings. But yeah, I get you. I, uh, yeah, I love sleeping, so I get it. Right? Well, it actually seems like it has some basis in research. Uh, The American Academy of Pediatrics is actually recommending that middle and high schools start at 8.30 a.m. or later to get adolescents to get the sleep they need. But most American adolescents, including those in Nevada, start school earlier than 8.30. Most high schools in Las Vegas actually start at 7 a.m. So State Board of Education President Felicia Ortiz has had this push to address teen sleep deprivation by pushing the school start times back later to at least 8 a.m. and as late as 10 a.m. Well, this is not To start school. To start school. Okay. Yeah, which, you know, to my teen brain is like, okay, cool. But not everyone's on board with that. So it's actually been hotly contested by none other than CCSD. CCSD reps are calling this proposed regulation rushed and that not all of the outcomes are being thought through. And then, you know, of course, one of their main points is actually about logistics and transportation, because if you push high school times back, then the same buses for high school can't be reused for middle schoolers later and reused for elementary school students later on. So they got to add more buses and drivers to the mix and add more traffic to the roads. And they're just saying it's going to be a big, expensive nightmare. They're actually claiming it could cost up to 145 million dollars for things like extra busing. Yeah. So they actually want to come back and shoot back at the State Board of Education with with litigation. Oh, yes, they are. Uh Okay, so I'm just going to pipe in for a second here because I'm that dork who watches these friggin' meetings. (laughs) Yes, Um, David. I mean, for two reasons. One, because I want to fill my head with knowledge. And two, because I need help falling asleep. That said... (laughs) Um, I watched the lawyer for the Clark County School District show up to the State Board of Education, and um, I, I know him as a mild-mannered litigator. He's a, he's a very smart guy. He came out with guns blaring. Who the hell do you think you are, he essentially said. He's used his language very I'm carefully. I'm sure, yeah, he didn't actually yeah, use but, that language. I mean, it was, it, um, to, to make another word that he didn't use, it was basically F around with the fifth largest school district in the country and find out. He said, yeah. you have no jurisdiction to tell us what to do. We will litigate you and burn you to the ground. Again, paraphrasing. But yeah, they were feisty. It was it well, was really saucy exchange. I, that is, they just took it, but wow. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting question about whether or not the Nevada Department of Education actually 
has the authority to make this kind of like regulation change. Um, and it also seems like everyone on board, including CCSD, is like, we get it. We want our teens to get more sleep. And what they're really kind of getting hung up on is like logistics and the transportation issues. So anyhow, it seems like after that meeting on Wednesday, uh, if approved, I mean, it would probably be taking place, the changes over the 2025-2026 school year. So they just want to get the ball rolling, yeah. get some public hearings in place. It's going to be a long, gradual process that, you know, they they kind of phase in like a quarter of schools at a time. So, uh, you know. It's just the beginning of a conversation, an already feisty one. I uh, it reminds me because I used to report on Washoe County School District. In oh, Marino, nice! Uh-huh. And they went through the same issue. I think is two or three years ago, and uh, the interest is always so high in these because I remember my web producer told me this story I did on school start times being pushed back in Washoe County was the most popular story we had the entire year. So that just Whoa. tells you. That is just yeah. how interested and invested parents, teachers, everyone is into matters of school start times. And they were just looking to push it back 30 minutes in Washoe County. The school board oh approved goodness. it. And then uh, I published my article and there was a big uproar. So they ultimately rescinded that and said <gasps> they'll look more into it after my article went out. So I just know I'm kind of it's funny seeing it all replayed down here in Clark County now because uh, yeah, I mean, they, they want to help these kids and they're, you know, rest up and be ready for school. But then behind the scenes, just the logistics really are a nightmare. So it, it's one of those where I can see both sides uh, mm-hmm. based on what David's saying. The sounds like Clark County's coming in a little too hot. But uh, <laughs> Super you know, yeah, I think there I think there are good arguments on both sides. It's just, you know, back in Washoe County, there was a school bus driver shortage. Uh, I believe there's still some semblance of mm-hmm. that down here as well. So, you know. There's all these right. different factors you have to put in. It's like, hey, I would love for students to sleep in later, but uh, especially if they can perform well academically. But there's just, uh, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. Well, I mean, it's definitely intriguing. Uh, and like you said, Sonia, it's going to take a long time for that to become the rule if it even gets to that point. But the conversation starting, it's a tough decision, right? Wh- which stakeholders uh, need to be prioritized here? What do you all think? I mean, my first instinct is to say the students, obviously, that that's who schools serve. But then it gets a little more tricky when you think about, well, I mean, schools accommodating families is ultimately also going to, like, help students as well. And if later start times uh, also mean that, for example, high schoolers come out of school after their, say, younger siblings coming out of elementary school, if that complicates things for family and child care or parents getting to pick, you know, students up, or as CCSD has actually threatened, some have called it a tactic, by stopping busing for certain students and making them walk up to five miles for certain charter schools, then that can also impact student well-being. So, I mean, I think what are the what are the ultimate, you know, kind of externalities and costs that come to students is, is the biggest question for me. What do you all think? I hate to be one of those like back in my day kind of people, but uh, <laughs> back in my day, when I, when I was in high school, I did something called a zero hour. And so I actually started school before everyone else because I no. wanted to take more classes. I was kind of a nerd like that. And so I started school. Yeah. So I started school at about 630 a.m. every day. And then that way I could get to school early and squeeze in an extra class throughout the day. And you know, I did well academically, but again, you know, that's just me. It's anecdotal. And there is this research to back it up. And, you know, we had a small school district. CCSD is so big. I was able to drive myself to school. We didn't rely on school buses. So 
I, I, you know, I think in this case, we should put some heavy weight in the student well-being and academic success. But ultimately, I think that's going to take the back seat on the bus here to uh, solve the logistical <laughs> challenges. Yeah. 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 And let's not forget the teachers, too, because, you know, right. their lives uh, are already upended uh, in this potential negotiation that's going to go on forever about what's demanded of them and what they get compensated in return for that. And you know, where's their voice on it? I will say this, that there were a lot of letters that were submitted to the State Board of Education for from big groups, uh, stakeholders, and it seemed, at least from this one hearing, that everyone was like, you got to let the individual school districts figure it out for themselves because everyone is very unique. And while there are a lot of off-ramps in this proposed rule, like, you know, for the rurals especially and and justification for waivers and things like that and evaluation over and over, the big question is, like, will you ever solve these issues? And I think that the bigger question, everyone, is, like, will this help that student achievement that we're so uh, afraid of diminishing even right. further? Right. Yeah. What impacts teachers, what impacts families, what impacts yeah. schools ultimately impacts students as well. So and how yeah. do you measure if it's a success? If mm -hmm. if changing the start times, what what metric uh, analysis tools do you have to say, See, it worked. The, the kids are healthier, they're smarter, and Nevada now will thrive because we have smarter, healthier kids. Exactly. Hmm. There's so much in play here. Yeah. You know, uh, they said that sleep deprivation is actually similar to uh, the effects of inebriation. So we'll just have high schoolers walk the line every morning and see how many of them can walk a straight <laughs> so line. So we just basically are doing field sobriety tests for yeah. every student before they walk into their high school classroom. Exactly. Uh, we're that's all going to fail. That's a yeah. great look. Yeah, great look for CCSD. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. All right. Well, let's go over to the county. Obviously, food vending uh, on the streets has been uh, a hot topic. And now Clark County has established restrictions for street food vendors. Brett, what, what's this new law all about? Yeah. So this stems from Senate Bill 92, which was passed in the legislature this year. There's a big signing ceremony hoopla with Governor Lombardo, Secretary of State Cisco Aguilar. Basically, at the time, people thought it meant you could start having these street vendors on the street selling their food. You know, you, you see it in cities all over the country, all over the world, really. And here, here in Vegas, you know, you could find it on the strip any given night. Um, 
just near my uh, news station at Channel 3. There's some around the neighborhoods around here. Um, but the issue is there's just a lot of misinformation that came out from that bill signing because technically mm. the bill planned to make a pathway to make this legal because, you know, right now before the bill, it just wasn't pro it wasn't allowed, but people were just kind of doing it. And this creates a pathway to allow it. So it came to a head on August 6th. Uh, you may have seen this on the news. Uh, I covered it myself. It's at the Welcome to Las Vegas sign. Uh, police ended up arresting a, a street vendor. His name was Jose Carlos Hernandez Perez. He got in an altercation with the officer. You know, some people say there's a language barrier. He didn't understand what the officer was saying. Others said he should have known, you know, don't put your hands on officer, you, you know, obey the officer. So it just got very heated. The man ended up being arrested. And then turns out uh, he was handed over to ICE and he was being threatened with deportation. Right. And so the whole intent behind this law ended up being thrown out the window because people were like, I thought it was legal. And turns out, no, it just was creating the pathway to it. And so that's what happened this week. Clark County finally got around to the implementing the first steps of this law as required by SB 92, which uh, at this point is just banning these street vendors from the strip and outside a place like Legion Stadium Convention Center. And that's mm -hmm. actually part of the law. They were supposed to do that. Uh, some people were surprised it happened this week, but they had a deadline of October 15th. They had to pass this part of the law. And now next year, there's a second phase of the law where they will implement the licensing process to make it easier to permit these vendors to start selling around the city. But uh, mm -hmm. you can see I try to give a very oversimplified explanation and it ended up sounding kind of long because, you know, it, it was paved with good intentions, but it did not end up going that way. And I think there's still some misinformation out there for a lot of these vendors and people yeah. who you know support these street vendors. Yeah. Generally speaking, uh, it, it seemed like the state is supporting the allowance of food vending. And like you said, Brett, um, it was in two phases. Phase one was the municipalities and here the county had to come up with where is it going to be banned? And then the next part is how do you get your licenses, which is going to happen sometime between now and and the summer of 2024. Uh, Sonia, what do you think the rationale here is? Why do you think that they decided to ban street vending uh, essentially in front of the resorts, in front of the LVCVA, and in front of stadiums. Well, I think it's pretty obvious it's an image issue, right? Those are our most heavily trafficked tourist corridors. Uh, I think there's a certain image that Las Vegas has of, uh, of being like a, a luxury destination and that street food vending doesn't fit in with that. Personally, I actually love street food vendors. I think it creates like a really lively cityscape. And to me, street food vending also speaks to like a walkable city. Because street food vending relies heavily on foot traffic. So I would love to see maybe someday a space where street food vendors line the streets. Like, you know, I used to live in Seoul. There is a stretch of uh, the city where, you know, you can walk. There's a bunch of shops. It, you know, at nighttime, everything's lit up. You know, it's neon lights and bright lights and street food vendors. And it's so fun and so lively. I think there's a place for street food vendors to fit into the fabric of our city. But apparently they don't think it's in the tourist corridor. Yeah, which is I, I agree with your points you made about why they probably implemented it that way. But yeah, when you think about it, after a night of drinking, you're walking down the strip and you see this delicious hot dog oh. or whatever it is being cooked right in front of you. It's, yes. tacos, it's the best. It, it, tacos, yeah, it's always the yeah. best food to get. And so we are depriving ourselves and our tourists of that on the strip. But thank uh, you. Yeah, but at least we will be able to get it in our neighborhoods and uh, elsewhere eventually, as uh, yeah. as we said, next summer. So, yeah, long, long ways away still. 
Well, and the big question here is, is it good for our city? And, and I appreciate, and I always call it, you know, Strip City going to get what Strip City want, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, the big non-elected actors that control what happens around the resort corridor are the LVCVA, the, the Nevada Resort Association, and the stadium authority right now, basically. And that is essentially the only places where the ban has been imposed is what benefits those three groups. The fourth one is basically the Las Vegas sign. So the only person, and again, y'all, I watched the county commission <laughs> meeting. I'm, I'm sad. Nerds for the win today. I love it. <laughs> but um, I watched the only one who really testified in front of the county commission was the Nevada Resort Association, Virginia Valentine. And her pitch was, look, sidewalks are made for moving people to come into and enjoy our casinos and hotels. They shouldn't be blocked not not to say that you couldn't do food vending without blocking the flow of traffic, but it was really like, this is good for us. We don't really care if it's good for anyone else. We think this is good for us. So please pass this. And then they did. And even, you know, Commissioner Kilpatrick said, I can't wait to start enforcing this. It's it's a mess down there. Like, what are they? What? Who, who is it for? Who is it for? Is it is it for the people or is it for those entities? Well, I think I will, to Kirkpatrick's uh, credit, uh, listening to former meetings myself, she she is worried about a safety issue because I guess in parts of her district, there are just dozens and dozens of these uh, food stalls just lighting streets. And she just said it's become a traffic safety issue. Hmm. So, I mean, that's not part of her strip purview. But uh, so I, I know there was an issue. I talked to some other school crossing guards, actually, when I've reported on this, saying they'd be blocking the crosswalks, causing issues there. But uh, ultimately, yeah, that's outside the strip. And, you know, those are separate issues from the strip. Yeah, yeah they, I... they weren't talking about bans in those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sonia, even after SB 92 passed, this road to legalization uh, has been bumpy. I wonder what lessons we're all going to be learning now from this lengthy process if other professionals, especially who operate on or around the strip, attain this sort of same legal status that they they can do what they're doing. What what lessons are there here? Uh, I think that this interim period, this gray area needs to be far more clearly defined. Can they still operate or can they not? And in the meantime, is there a program to help them maintain their livelihoods or gradually get them to some sort of like legal status a little more quickly? And I think that communication needs to be done more efficiently and in multiple languages. Uh, Support needs to be given for training uh, and clearly, clearly the people folks folks need to know what their what their timeline is in order to get to that legal path. Yeah, I think the lack of communication has been the one of the biggest issues around all of this. And, you know, part of this bill, also the secretary of state's office has to make a task force to help learn and better these laws as they move forward. So whatever the county passes now, just keep in mind, the secretary, this uh, secretary of state task force can ultimately next year recommend, hey, this isn't working. You need to implement it a different way. But because it's so new, I keep thinking like the Airbnb, you know, now in Clark mm. County, we're uh, regulating Airbnbs and it's similar. You know, they were kind of sliding underneath the radar before. Now we're trying to regulate them and it's just causing all sorts of other new issues, kind of letting some people lose their livelihood. And so I think it's just these new laws, they're, they're trying to figure them out. But right now it's just lack of communication. And uh, ultimately, I think understanding how it's going to actually affect these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, Good intentions aside, no matter what you try to do, uh, I think that the big lesson is that bureaucracy going to bureaucracy. 
and uh, <laughs> good luck. Good luck. All right, let's go to our last topic, which is the sphere has finally opened. But uh, so it's not just looking at it from the outside. Now we're looking at it from the inside. And by all accounts, the debut show by the band U2, uh, popular in the 1980s, if you remember them, <laughs> uh, at the sphere was a creative and entertainment success. All the videos. Oh, they I've look seen amazing. Shock and awe. And there yeah. are a lot of videos, probably more videos of the Inside the Sphere than the band, but I think I I'm went guessing, to the concert based on all yeah, the videos. Right. There was right. a concert too. Yeah, we lived um, there vicariously. Yeah. Well, the Sphere higher ups have to be really happy. Um, they've gotten a lot of criticism around their finances. They went a billion over budget. But right after that U2 show, man, I'm guessing. Champagne was popped. The company stock shot up 11%. Ad rates for that outside screen, which they may actually get, are astronomical. I'm wondering, though, as we step back from the technological marvel of it all, uh, there are questions that remain. I mean, the cost associated with the night out at the Sphere is going to set a lot of people back a lot. It's not for everyone. Uh, there is some chatter about whether the workers are being paid fairly. There's some fear of a possible misuse of that facial recognition technology that's in play. But also, I, I read an op-ed in CNN's website, and one writer there thinks that the spectacular images and immersion inside represents the height of a bad trend in entertainment. And she says that the, the new normal are these huge visual and audacious distractions, and that any connection a person might want to have with their favorite artist at a concert is lost and she thinks maybe forever now as everyone tries to top basically what you two at the sphere just did hmm. so at the end of her thing she concludes that spectacle over substance doesn't entertain the people it engulfs them but that's the first like heavy duty criticism that i've heard about this whole thing hmm. what say ye sonia <laughs> you got thoughts all right I think this writer's gripe is not with this fear. I think it's with 2023. Oh, uh, oof. Right? Because, I mean, that is like the nature of our existence now. I will confess, you guys, that when I am watching a show on Netflix, so much of the time, I also have my phone screen up with me. We live in an era of overstimulation, distraction, and entertainment's going to have to one-up to match the just the the free song that our brains are getting every single day. Um, right. Is that a good thing, though? And this is the question. Yes and no. I think I think in some ways we kind of have to accept the way that, like, you know, humanity evolves, technology evolves, and this is sort of the new reality. But I think also making spaces and times for our brains to just get a break is also going to be really good for us. But um, is is the new era of entertainment necessarily a bad thing? I don't know if I buy into that entirely. I think it's just kind of our new reality. And Yeah, I think it's the prospect of trying to one up uh, something like the sphere and the performance in the sphere scares me because what uh, does that even look like? Yeah. Just, uh -huh. Cause the, all the images I've seen on the inside, I'm like, this is the ultimate visual, you know, just experience. How, how can we ever top this? And, you know, someone in mm. Vegas or elsewhere is going to try to top it. And then, yeah, it's funny, you know, U2 is a big band. They are internationally popular, but they totally were not the focus point of anything I saw inside the sphere. I, right. I, I can't, re I, yeah, I can't recall a single thing they played. How must they feel 
We're you too. Why is everyone talking about pixels? <laughs> Do you think they're <laughs> exactly. mad? Do you think that they're like humbled? I, I, I you know, and I, and I think I think they're laughing all the way to the bank. So now, well, there's that, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. But maybe that's just like the nature of how entertainment is changing. I mean, think think about the history of K-pop, and so K-pop came up in an era when TV was getting really big in Korea, and so K-pop music and concerts because of the era they came up in, are actually very visual. Lots of in- intricate dance moves and costumes and backgrounds. And so I think music and entertainment evolve with the times. And now we're in an era where we can be in a sphere surrounded by these kinds of visuals. And, hmm. you know, uh, that's just the nature of the times. Um, and the CNN writer was also griping like about what T-Swift and Beyonce concerts have become, that it's just too much. It's just hmm. too much fireworks and all the visuals are distracting from the connection. But I would say, not being you know a person who's gone to either one of those concerts, but seeing accounts of people who went saying that it was basically life-affirming, life-changing, that they did make a connection with mm-hmm. their favorite artists, whether it be Beyonce or T-Swift or any of the others who do these giant spectacles. And I'm wondering, you know, can you still have that connective experience with all those bells and whistles literally Hmm. going off at the same time? You mean like connecting with the artist, the musical artist? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, in a place like the Sphere, I don't think so. And, you know, these criticisms are all valid, but I still have to say I'm excited to get in there myself just to see what it looks (laughs) like. If you get comps, though, woof, those prices. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm wondering if you think, I don't know, let's be silly and speculative for half a second. Okay. If there's other entertainment venues that are going to try to keep up now with the Sphere. I mean, the Sphere is in, in of itself its own thing. So what might some other venues do to, you know, give that old college effort to keep up with the the big new one in town? All right. Here's my proposal. I would like the super lazy concert experience. I want a lazy boy chair, reclining go the other seats, way. feet up. I want trained monkeys coming to like bring me drinks and like head massages. I want really yummy wow. bite-sized treats and foods. And I can just like have the most lazy, wonderful concert. That that I would buy a ticket for. So instead of super spectacular, we want super chill. Yes. Okay. And that is also going to take place near a cannabis lounge, I'm guessing. <laughs> possibly. 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 Yeah. What about you, Bray? What, what do you think someone uh, in town has to do to try to do their their best effort at, at sphere-like uh, wow factor? Well, I think it's going to come down to just booking the biggest artists now and just hmm. to lure people to their sites. Yeah, YouTube's big, but they haven't announced anyone else to play after them. And so, you know, there is concern there that uh, it's just too big of a venue to play. So I think other venues are going to be okay. And I'm going to be okay because you can just check out these other sites with just big names that are going to be going there because they don't want to deal with all the pressure and just the visuals of the sphere. Yeah, I mean, they have to design shows. That's a whole bunch. Brett, what if they had servers dressed up as Elvis on roller skates, though? (laughs) Wouldn't that make you want to buy a ticket somewhere else? I mean, absolutely. Yes. I'm never going to say no to a good time. See, I want I want more mockery. I feel like there's not enough <laughs> mockery in our in our community and that we could benefit from that level of criticism. I want to go to the double down, see a concert and somebody just walk out with some sparklers and throw them at the crowd. They go, there's your effing sphere. Something like that. <laughs> just just goof. I want to see I'll, a goof on it. I'll pay some money for that. Why not? See, there you I'll, go. I'll pay I'm, very little uh, money. Another for that. <laughs> free idea from CityCast Las Vegas to the business owners of our community. You're welcome. 
All right, Friday News Roundup, another one in the can. Uh, really appreciate you guys. Brett, Sonia, thanks so much for joining us on CityCast Las Vegas. Thanks, David. Yeah, it's fun, a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, thanks for talking. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson. Our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Tickensheet. And I'm your host, David Figler. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. And hey, if you enjoyed the show, go tell a friend. That means a lot to us. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuwuvi, the Southern Paiute people. And don't forget, Monday is Indigenous Peoples Day, so take some time to learn more about the people whose lands we're on. Go watch a documentary. Get yourself learned. We're taking Monday off, so we'll be back Tuesday morning with the third installment of our Fall Destination series. Till then, stay lucky. How is that on the energy level? Too high? Too low? Right where it should be? Great. I love it. That'll wake me up on a Friday. I like it. Yeah, get up. Get up. (laughs) Oh, even even Layla thinks it was good. Okay, Good. good.